Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the New Jersey School Board Association's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in education and beyond on important education issues of the day. A conversation that brings state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I will be your host this morning. Today, we will not only be taking your calls, but we also have our chat room open. I think this will give you another vehicle in which to participate in the show. Christy will be taking the calls this morning. Christy, can you please explain the process? I would love to. Good morning, everybody. Now, if you want to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. Again, it's 1-347-989-8904. When you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your phone. That will indicate on my switchboard that you want to say something. I'll get your name and I'll get your question. If you're on the phone line, remember to turn down the volume on your computer and just listen on the phone because there is a delay. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. If you want to log into the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. In recent weeks, in my blog and updates, I've been discussing legislation and other proposals that would seem to undermine the authority of the local Board of Education. Proposals that, to do that are really nothing new, though I think currently they have a little bit more weight behind them. But despite these efforts, for the most part nationwide, local school boards is the preferred method for governing our schools. And it's a uniquely American system which connects education and democracy. Is it an effective method for running our schools? Are there better ways? Can it be improved? Today, to discuss these and other questions of this sort is the author of a book called School Boards in America, A Flawed Exercise in Democracy. Besides writing the book, he is a former national education, education correspondent for the New York Times and is a senior fellow at Teachers College, Columbia University. And to top it all off, he's also a board member in the New Jersey community of Edison. Welcome, Gene Maroff. Thank you very much, Ray. Appreciate being with you. Okay. Uh, Gene, uh, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I, I've written uh, books about a number of educational topics, for example, online learning, pre-K to three education, education of children in need, what parents should know about education of their children. And it occurred to me that those school boards have a, a lot of influence. They're largely invisible to many people. And I discovered through a literature search that almost all previous books about school boards have taken a how-to approach aimed at school board members or aspiring school board members, and that has a lot of value. But I decided there is also a place for a book that examines school boards from a public policy perspective, and I thought such a book should be directed at the entire educational community and at non-educators who are interested in public affairs. I, I st Actually, uh, Ray, I actually started the book before I was a school board member, uh, and when I got elected to the board in Edison, it seemed to be a very good idea to take advantage of my experiences for the book. But I do want to readily point out I didn't anyway, in any way violate any confidences or identify by name anyone associated with my school, my school district. So I spent lots of time learning about the ins and outs of the, con uh, the conduct of boards around the country, and my book is filled with interesting anecdotes involving 
uh, half the school, half the states uh, in the country. Uh, this, uh, I, I think, makes it a very readable book. Um, yeah, I noticed that you uh, were writing the book before you ran for school board. Is this like a George Plimpton, if anyone remembers that author, that you decided to really get involved for your book, or was what inspired you to run for the school board? Well, uh, some people had approached me uh, knowing that I have a background in education policy and thought I could uh, be a worthy addition to the board. And I personally uh, saw it as a way to perform public service, albeit a very time-consuming one. And uh, and frankly, I was uh, I had curiosity about what uh, a school system looks at from uh, that close-up perspective. I must say, and I think probably the many school board listeners to your program could identify with this, that even though I had lots of experience in education, uh, I got many new uh, insights from the vantage that only being on a school board can provide. Yeah. um, You know, I I did read the book, and I I think it's great for actually members of the public, too, because I think you do explain, like, issues like, uh, special education, how we got to where we are now and how schools are governed. I, thought, I think it's actually good for not just people in the system but outside the system. Um, but in your research, uh, and as well as your personal experience, which I, when I read the book, you do bring in, and I, and I can vouch that you do not break any confidences. Um, what do you see to, as the greatest strength in a local board of education? Well, a, a school board represents the community itself. And uh, that's certainly a a great strength, and uh, it allows local citizens to give a uh, a local voice to education policy. Uh, As you said right at the beginning of the uh, the program today, there are lots of uh, vehicles through which uh, government at all levels is trying to uh, get involved in local education policy, but the local school board uh, is a way for the local community to do that. And a real strength is that if you have a high-functioning board working as a team with a highly competent superintendent, uh, they can accomplish a great deal in helping uh, make the education of children uh, more effective. And a good board also oversees uh, the expenditures of uh, public money, which is uh, very important, working with the superintendent and his staff, uh, developing a budget, and uh, having the right of approval, as the school board does, over all recommendations to hire, award contracts, and spend money. And, uh, and I must say, and I don't say this only because I'm, I'm talking to you at this time, but for, for school boards in New Jersey, one of the strengths really is being able to have uh, to, to resort to the, uh, uh, the lobbying and technical support that's uh, provided by the New Jersey School Boards Association because I'd hate to think of the condition uh, school boards would be in if each individual school board had to try to lobby the legislature. I don't think there would be much power there. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, You said if you have a a good working superintendent and if you have a good board working together, um, things you can achieve a lot. Right. That's not always the case. Right, and that's, uh, and you that's that out in, in the school literature. That's called a high-functioning board, and unfortunately, every place doesn't have a high-functioning board. So, uh, what, what do you see as the weaknesses then? If there's no, yeah, well, there the- are weaknesses, and uh, although the title of my book is "School Boards in America," the subtitle is a flawed exercise in democracy, and that's not because I'm against school boards. It's because I do see weaknesses, and I talk about them and write about them in the book. 
uh, the elections for school boards uh, can be too easily controlled by special interest groups for a number of reasons. Uh, they, uh, uh, the, the teacher union uh, exercising its democratic right uh, often will uh, back candidates and oppose other candidates. Uh, you've got uh, the election at a time of the year when very a few people have much awareness of it because uh, they, uh, they aren't often held in conjunction with other elections, and that's true in about a third of the school board elections in the country. And, and so uh, you could have people who are elected with uh, single-issue uh, uh, agendas. They're only interested in one thing, and, and that's it. Uh, and some members, frankly, are not qualified to serve on school boards and be, may do nothing to make themselves more qualified. Uh, one of the examples of that is what I wrote about the uh, the school boards in Louisiana, which just went through a big battle over whether or not they should uh, have to be strengthened and more qualified. I think that some school board members, unfortunately, are lazy and uninterested in what's going on, and the first time they look at their uh, agendas is when they sit down at the table for the meeting. Uh, an important uh, 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 shortcoming or weakness of school boards, and I'm not sure how to deal with this, and, and people don't take adequate note of it, is the, the way that uh, school boards turn over. Uh, for example, we have a nine-member board, and uh, uh, one-third of the board can turn over every year. Well, all of a sudden, you could find a superintendent deprived of the support that he or she had, and you end up with the superintendent uh, having to move on for no reason other than uh, the support that was there when the contract was offered is no longer there, or you can end up with an expensive buyout. So I think that these are all uh, weaknesses of school boards, uh, some of which are not easily addressed. Yeah, um, I, it's interesting you say about the support for superintendent. I was recently in a district where a superintendent was hired, and a year later, through resignations and everything else, five of the nine board members were gone who had hired him. Um, but some of the issues that you bring up, aren't they problems kind of with democracy in and of itself? Uh, I'm going to take a quote that you used from Agnes Repelia. I, I'm yeah. probably butchering her name. Democracy forever teases us with the contrast between its ideals and its realities, between its heroic possibilities and sorry achievements. Is that the is, yeah, I Some of the weaknesses are inherent to school boards, but there are others that uh, are shared with all kinds of democratic bodies, and there are flaws in democracy. It's, a, it's the best system there is, but it's flawed, and uh, some of these problems we have are problems that school boards share with the legislature, that it shares with the town or city council, and it's not any different, but some of them are, are more uh, specialized within school boards. It's a mix. Um, it's the price of democracy, I guess. <laughs> uh, and you kind of seem to be alluding to this I don't know if you came right out and said it in the book but um, when you talk about maybe some board members not ready well first of all do you think they're surprised by the, the their position when they get when they're elected or appointed that it's a little bit more work than they anticipated some people yeah I think some are surprised that if they're going to do it in a in a proper fashion that it takes more work than they expected uh, and uh, it's a, there's a lot of prestige with being on a school board, and some people may run only for that reason, and then they get there and find, well, uh, okay, you have some prestige, but here's what you have to do. 
And uh, some people just get on school boards without the foggiest idea of uh, what governance is all about, which is really the responsibility of the school board. The school boards don't, are not there to administer the schools. They hire the superintendent, and then he or she hires uh, a staff to do that. And uh, there are people who get on and don't even understand that that's what their role is. We're speaking with Gene Maroff, author of the book School Boards in America, A Flawed Exercise in Democracy. If you want to ask uh, Gene a question, you call 1-347-989-8904 and press 1. And Christy, our, uh, who's working on a switchboard, will uh, take your question and put you on the air. Um, well, what was your biggest surprise once you got on the board? Well, uh I don't know if I was totally surprised because I've gone to a lot of school board meetings uh, in, in connection with my work, but um, the, the, the voting on the curriculum and the textbooks, even though school board members usually don't know anything about that and some don't bother finding out much about it, and even if they got a hold of the calculus book that they're proving, uh, wouldn't know too much about what they're looking at. And it's really uh, it's really questionable whether school boards should even have that kind of authority. And when you're on a school board, that uh, that comes home to you. Uh, the degree of power that a school board can exert. Uh, uh, also, the extent, and I'm not just talking about the board I serve on, but what I discovered in my research around the country, the extent to which uh, on some boards, some members use their positions to influence hiring of certain people. There are people who re there are school board members who really use these positions uh, to run a jobs program. Uh, the amount of time it can can consume, uh, uh, I'm not sure I even understood that, especially for the president, which I am now in my second year uh, as, and that really takes a lot of time. And and then on the good side, uh, it could, you can be surprised by the degree of diligence and hard work that some members are willing to put into what is a, a non-paying job, at least in New Jersey. Yeah, I, I actually, from my perspective, I work, and they volunteer for our state association, so they're not only volunteering at the local level, they're volunteering at the county and state level. Um, I've always been surprised at how many hours some people do put in. It's, it's right, a it's passion. Work on top of work, for, uh, volunteer work on top of volunteer work with no pay whatsoever. Uh, maybe about, uh, oh, about at least 20% of school board members across the country do get some money. Uh, for most of them, it's not very much. But there's some, like in Los Angeles, who are paid at least, at a minimum, uh, the same as a starting teacher, and then they get enough money to uh, to get uh, at least three people on a staff. But that's I unusual. That, I don't think that would ever happen in New Jersey. Uh, politically, I, I don't see it ever passing anything. Um, you seem to be. Would you support improved training for board members? I mean, New Jersey probably has one of the more uh, strongest requirements for training than any other state. I, I don't think some states don't have anything. Do you support that? And would you maybe support it for other elected officials? Uh, absolutely, too? absolutely. And I write about that in the book. is really an important step. And New Jersey does, in fact, do a good job. Uh, I, I will always remember when I was a new board member and. Uh, uh, the school boards association still was holding the uh, the uh, first uh, session, uh, the indoctrination for new members, and it lasted through an entire weekend. Oh uh, yes, which does it which it doesn't now because of uh, various uh, things that have happened. But that was just terrific training, and uh, I I had as a uh, 
uh, a repeat uh, board member of fourth year training down in Atlantic City this year. That was good. And, um, you know, it's not always great. Sometimes it's not so good. I've I've been to some training where you can't ask any questions, and it's just very poor forma and PowerPoints. But by and large, New Jersey's training is good, and uh, it would be good if every state were that good and if there were even more training. And there are organizations uh, – uh, that that are doing some of this too around the country, and training uh, is really important. We're de- as school board members, we're dealing with learning organizations, and we should attend to our own learning. Um, in reading your book, uh, and you kind of um, say this several times, like in special ed, you say the public is unaware, probably, uh, of the rules and regulations with special that deal with special education. What's the role of the public? Because you seem to be indicating that the public is general public is unaware of how schools work and they probably should be more involved uh, in the process voting in and just on the school board elections. Well, uh, yeah, and I, that's I a hard thing to do, I think. Yeah, the public does have responsibilities. First of all, the public has a responsibility to give the school system the financial cap- capacity to do the job. And, uh, and uh, that means uh, uh, being willing to uh, pass uh, well-thought-out budgets and understanding that sometimes uh, bond issues are necessary uh, in connection with that. Older residents have to keep in mind that those who came before them uh, paid the taxes to make their education uh, uh, possible uh, in generations past. I think uh, it's important for the public uh, to support the public schools because it makes you know, in a in a very uh, personal sense, it makes their home more valuable if it's a good school system, and it's a and and good education for young people is a down payment on securing the nation's future. People should become uh, knowledgeable about learning outcomes, and I think in most uh, school systems, there's a lot of information uh, available on that if people want to uh, to find it. I think people have to see the public schools in a, as an extension of the community. And this becomes hard for some people, very frankly, at a time when more and more of the students don't look like some of the people who lived in the community for a long time. And I think that people have a responsibility to vote in school board elections. Typically, what's the turnout, 12 or 14 percent at best? A couple of years ago when uh, the governor urged people to go and vote against the the budgets, no matter what, we got a uh, turnout of twice that number, but it settled back again this year to the usual 12 or 14 percent. That doesn't show much interest. But on the other hand, as you said earlier, Ray, uh, we didn't have much turnout for the legislature, legislative elections either this year. Yeah, I think it's about 25 percent, and they spend a lot more money than uh, local boards of ed do. That's for sure. Um, so would you support moving the election, or is it? I, I'm really divided on that. I see pros and cons each way. Uh, I think, on the one hand, when you have it in April, when other when other elections aren't taking place, it's somewhat insulated from partisan politics, uh, uh, and uh, people who are most interested vote. On the other hand, as I said earlier, it's easier for uh, for special interest groups to exert control over it. And if we really uh, believe in democracy, then we should want to have as many people as possible voting. So I could see as many uh, arguments on either side for having it in April all by itself when it's kind of obscure and for having it in November. And I know that um, 
the school board's organization has gotten involved in that too as to which which is best and i don't think one could say uh that one way is necessarily better than the other they both have advantages and disadvantages i think uh when we've discussed it with our members i think a lot of them uh, don't like the idea of the partisan politics being part of their election and, and that's more of the the fear that they have is that now they're they may have to de- declare a party if not directly, indirectly. Uh, like though, you know, which, which a lot of people aren't aware of in New Jersey, is that while you don't do that in New Jersey, there are plenty of places around the, around the country, uh, it's a minority certainly, a fairly significant minority, in which people run for school board positions on, uh, on party lines. Connecticut, for example, they do that. Uh, New York State, it often happens. Uh, whereas we don't have that in New Jersey, by and large, at least not uh, officially. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit. In the book, you discuss alternatives to local school boards because some people feel it's the local governance is the problem. Um, do you want to discuss a couple of them? Oh, sure. Uh, I'd be glad to, Ray. Uh, first of all, it's a kind of alternative to the, most of the boards we have in New Jersey. More than 90% of them are elected, and in New Jersey, uh, fewer than 10% are appointed. Now, it's still, uh, once, once people get in, they operate in the same way, but I think when you talk about alternatives, you have to weigh elected versus appointed boards, and uh, elected overwhelmingly, the New Jersey pattern pretty much reflects the country. Uh, uh, you, have mayoral t- you have mayoral control, and mayoral control uh, can mean a lot of different uh, practices. It can mean, as it does in New York City, that essentially you have no board of education. It's the uh, city government that operates uh, the schools. In Boston, you have a real school board, all the members of which are appointed by the mayor, and that's mayor control, uh, and it can uh, vary. Uh, You see uh, three uh, state takeovers in New Jersey that have uh, really – had the state rather than the uh they're not called that anymore because of uh the way that uh it's monitored but uh the the amount of state takeovers and um the all the they talk about New Jersey now is they're measuring up for CUSAC but they're they don't have fully operating school boards and in other places like Missouri and other places you have state takeovers in which the state uh runs it and the um the school board doesn't count for much. And in St. Louis, for example, there's now a state takeover of that school system in which there's a, uh, a state-appointed uh, board, a small board, and there's an elected board. The elected board comes in, and they don't have anything to do. Uh, charter schools uh, generally have uh, a single board for each school. Uh, that's often true with non-public schools. Uh, you could turn over the whole operation just to a superintendent who's hired. So school boards, by and large, are the ways of operating schools, but they're not the only way when you look at everything that takes place in the country. Um, I'll get back to that. We have a, a question from a listener. Sure. Okay. Jean, uh, you have a question. You're a new board member? Oh, yes. Hi. I didn't expect to be uh, so quick. So, yes, I, I just have um, – I didn't read the book, and I'm really interested in what your your topic is today as a new school board member. Um, I, I wanted to make a couple of comments and then ask a question. Sure. Um, okay, so my comments or my observations are that it's getting increasingly, increasingly. – um, 
expensive to actually run for the school board. As uh, as I think you just pointed out, sometimes there's this party line type of feeling that people are, are, are running against each other in that way. Um, there's also just the use of uh, social media, but then, you know, the cost of printing signs and all this kind of thing that seems to have overtaken in our district. And I think that puts a lot of people off that otherwise might be interested in running for the school board. The second thing I would observe is that um, current and former school board members don't do enough to recruit new members uh, that might have leadership skills and relevant experience that could really benefit the community, and I think we need to all work on that. And um, the third thing I would say is that uh, the training that we receive sometimes is coming too late. I think you have almost till the end of your first year to go for the uh, the mandated governance one course, which I think is too late. I think we should have to be trained sooner so that we understand um, the governance process and, and what the uh, boundaries are of our, of our roles as board members. So those are some of my observations being new. Um, my question is, how, how do you feel school board members should get to know the schools and understand what's actually going on? Is it purely through the superintendent, or do you feel that uh, there are other means and ways that a school board member should be able to get to understand more about the individual schools and the overall feeling that's that's existing in, in the different buildings? I would say at the very least that school board members should have the opportunity to go to individual schools in their districts and meet the principal, be shown around the school building by the principal, maybe uh, shown uh, some degree what's going on inside the school. I don't think that should happen unless the person uh, lets the superintendent, the school board member lets the superintendent know that he or she would like to do that. I don't think any superintendent should object to that. Uh, and uh, that that's kind of a starter for a school board member. And um, there are invitations that come up for various events now and then, such as readings when Dr. Seuss's birthday comes around and other kinds of events at school. And school board members, if they have the time, should try to avail themselves of those invitations. It's another way to get in there. Uh, there, uh, there is a possible problem in observing classes because uh, sometimes uh, the teacher union thinks that uh, school board members don't have any business in there, that uh, these people are going to be evaluated by the professionals, and uh, they sometimes may come up for tenure, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of dicey to some, school, some unions if the school board members are doing that. One way to deal with that might be, let's say, a new reading series is adopted in the school, uh, and you ask the superintendent working with some principals to arrange for you to go to some classrooms around the district simply to see how uh, this new instructional method is being imparted. But uh, I uh, think, and I think I, you seem to uh, intimate, I would agree with you that it's good for school board members to have some sense of what's going on in the classroom and uh, to be able to get into schools and to uh, at least visit with the principals. 
Uh, Jean, uh, yes. two things I would add. Uh, we usually recommend for a new board member a district have an in-house orientation where they do give the new board members or how many, you know, if there's only one, just one, a tour of the buildings and the facilities so they have a familiarity with those questions. Uh, and I would uh, reiterate uh, what Jean said about uh, classroom observations of teachers. I think that it's something you should probably shy away from uh, for a variety of reasons. Anything else, Jean? Uh, uh, no, no, I actually that's... didn't mean go into and observe teachers. I meant just to understand. Well, there are two things. First of all, I find coming from the business world that information that's uh, at a management level is lacking mm-hmm. almost entirely to really get a good sense of exactly what's going on, data. I mean, once in a while you get a report about standardized testing or AP scores, and then another time you get the audit report of the financial statements. Or There's nothing that puts a complete picture together about how how the whole entity is actually running, and that's something I know I personally would like to see. Um, I play a role in, in my district to make a kind of dashboard, a management dashboard for the board so that we can constantly monitor what's going on rather than just once in a while happen to get some statistics. And I think this, you know, it seems to me that there's some energy in that direction at the state level by the Department of Education to, to get more information and data to base decisions on. I think that's a good thing. But I also think it's really important that we see the people, that we don't get blocked from having some interaction with the people who run our schools, whether it's in a classroom running a classroom or whether it's a building principal or it's a person running the human resources department. And some of that you do get as as members of, in our case, uh, we have board committees. But um, if you're not on a certain committee, you may not have um, any interaction with some of those parts of the district. And I, I just don't feel I can do my job well if I don't actually have access and have a chance to, to interact with people. You shouldn't be blocked. If you're making reasonable requests for information and to uh, to visit schools, uh, a confident, uh, able superintendent should not be blocking you in that. All right. Um, Gina, I'm going to put you on hold, uh, but you brought Thank up you. an issue about uh, committees that I want to follow up on. Um, Gene, she brought up the issue of committees um, and that, that she's not on a committee, she's not really sure what's going on. Uh, can a committee system be effective or ineffective? To me, sometimes the communication between committee members and board members, that's where the breakdown occurs. Uh, Talking about you on the committees. Ray, a board committee? Yeah. Yeah, I I think especially in a a large district, but not only in large districts, but particularly in large districts, uh, committees uh, can perform a very important function, probably in a fairly small district, and we have many of them in New Jersey. uh, There might just be a, a committee of the whole on almost any topic, but uh, committees should report out uh, to the to the board at large, uh, and those should be part of the board meeting. They should uh, be uh, there. Should be a written version of it that's turned in, that's available for everybody, and uh, a uh, lively and vibrant uh, committee structure can be uh, important to the operation of the school board. Um, before we had the question from Jean. Uh, Excuse me. Um, we were talking about alternatives, and I, 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 just, I do want to get back to them. I've seen a lot of those alter- alternatives. Are they any better than the local school board, though? I mean, they all seem to have their pluses and minuses. Uh, and I know you, if, for the listeners, if you read the book, uh, Gene does lay out all those alternatives, whether it was St. Louis, New York, um, uh, in detail. Uh, but are any of them any better 
Uh, generally not. For example, uh, charter schools, which uh, do have a different kind of uh, governance structure, uh, there's no there's no evidence that by and large charter schools are any better than uh, than other kinds of public schools in terms of uh, how that governance works out and making the school effective. And uh, I, I I would say what what I ended up thinking is probably it would be good if we gave uh, we did more pilot projects to take a look at good appointed boards. The boards would still function as in the same way as elected boards function, but using a kind of process that uh, is uh, used in some states for choosing judges through panels and all. Uh, I, I think perhaps uh, appointed boards might be worth looking at more and giving them a bigger trial. But by and large, I haven't seen anything that's better than the local school board. I know you refer in the book uh, a few times to Montclair, uh, which is in Essex County for uh, those who are not familiar. And it, they have a mayoral appointed, but I think they take a different tack to the mayoral appointment. It's not; it's less a political appointment. I mean, it's still political, but I think they take a they have a committee that really reviews the applicants. Am I correct on that? Yeah, and the mayor does a lot of that too, and. Uh, also, uh, Montclair has a particular situation in which uh, they're trying to uh, preserve and enhance their diversity, and uh, part of that is making sure you have a diverse school board and uh, a school board that believes in what it's trying to do. So that that figures in the whole equation as well. You know, you brought. I think you discussed this earlier that there are some boards that don't reflect the demographics of their town. Um, and I remember there was one incident in, in northern New Jersey where that was true. And one of the problems they had, and I'm not sure if this is a problem in your town, is they had a strong immigrant population uh, in the town, but most of the parents were not citizens. So it, it was a, A, they couldn't run for the board, and they actually couldn't even vote for the school budget. Was that an issue that you saw in some other towns? or? Yeah, it is an issue, uh, and that can be a factor that uh, under the law, school, public schools have to serve uh, children whether or not uh, their parents are citizens and whether or not the children are citizens. So you can have the situation that you're talking about. But there are instances in which you have uh, immigrant groups increasingly, you know, uh, one out of four uh, one out of four uh, students who starts the uh, kindergarten in our country now is uh, is somehow connected with an immigrant family. And I write, uh, I try to do a lot of this, as you know, Ray, having read the book, through examples in the book. And I write about the situation in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where uh, increasingly they have uh, had a Latino population, and the Latino population just couldn't elect anybody to the board because they just didn't have large enough numbers, but the numbers were significant. And so they went to federal court, and the federal court ruled that uh, a certain number of the uh, members of the board had to be elected from particular election districts and then you get a reflection of a neighborhood that way but i think that's something that's happening in the united states because the demography is such now that pretty soon in this country we're going to have what we generally would consider minorities as a majority in public school districts and so that has to be faced up to in terms of the composition of boards mm -hmm. Uh, just to our caller, Gene, we had a 
someone on uh, the chat room, Maureen, who agrees with your need to uh, have access to the schools and to make those decisions. So uh, you have support out there, Gene. Okay. Not you, Gene. The other, the Gene caller. You know, I have two genes now. Um, you know, most of the reforms that we have um, that I see, anyway, seem to be driven by urban education or the concern with high poverty areas. And it's, it's almost a one-size-fits-all. We're going to try to cure, improve academic achievement in those districts. Will changing the government stru- structure or what would change help in urban, uh, those high-poverty areas? Because that seems to be the driving force among a lot of the reform and change that we're looking well, uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the ideas of charter schools for kids who aren't being uh, served properly uh, by their local public school system to have access to something else. Some people even go farther and say you should have vouchers for them. Uh, but there's, it's very clear that the most difficult place to be a board member uh, is an urban area because of the great learning needs of the students. And... Uh, in some of these areas, uh, the governance hasn't been very good either, and the, gov- the lack of good governance has been a, it was a factor in uh, the state takeovers that uh, took place in three of the largest uh, school uh, settings in, in New Jersey. And uh, there's also the, uh, the huge financial challenge when a school system is trying to operate almost as quasi-parents for the students because the students are not coming to school with uh, what they uh, would have in some other settings. And so you end up with what we had in the uh, decision from the New Jersey Supreme Court to try to uh, deal with that with uh, with a lot more money, some of which has had uh, more impact and uh, more effect than, uh, than other spending. But uh, I certainly uh, empathize and sympathize with those who are board members in uh, the, uh, some of the total urban areas because uh, nobody successfully has found a way to do that. Uh, right now there's, a, uh, there's an experiment going on uh, in uh, Syracuse, uh, New York City School District to try to reform the whole district. Uh, an organization called Say Yes to Education is involved. And uh, it's an important experiment to see what can be done uh, since it's being tried on a, on a scale in a, in a school district of more than uh, between 20 and 25,000. And it's um, uh, something that might be able to be replicated in other um, small to medium-sized urban areas. Um, it's the greatest challenge in education, and the one-size-fits-all fit all that's been devised in some instances, at least as part of uh, the No Child Left Behind, for example, uh, we shouldn't use no one-size-fits-all because we have lots of different uh, school districts in this country and in this state. Yeah, because most of the, from my observation, the mayoral control has happened mostly in the, the large urban areas, and the state control has been the same thing. Uh, and the results... People might quibble in New Jersey. I'm not sure if you could say that academically there's been a great success to the state takeover in uh, the three districts that they have. And I even question sometimes when they do the QSAC and they monitor the board, are they really monitoring themselves or the board? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not really you know, sure. QSAC is a nice idea, but uh, it's an awful lot of paperwork, and I'm not sure uh, how much good it does for the districts. And it's a good idea to do some monitoring, but I think there's still much more to uh, fine-tune on that. Um, we have a, another question from the chat room uh, from Maureen. Um, 
what part does uh, do you feel school boards play in the education reform movement nationally or in New Jersey? Uh, the advocacy part of this, where we're trying to change tenure laws and and the like. I think school boards have abdicated a lot of what they might do and uh, are just not taking the leadership to the extent that they ought to. And uh, that would be some way of school boards showing uh, their importance by taking a bigger role in that. I think they've abdicated it to others. And uh, But on the other hand, it's hard for any individual school boards to do that. And uh, sometimes it depends on state government uh, to uh, try to get involved with the changes uh, as the advocate rather than individual school boards. Maybe uh, the individual school boards have to... Uh, uh, work more closely with New Jersey School Boards uh, Association to put together the kind of uh, program that would bring that about. So, so do you think they should be a little, at least someone on the board should be a little bit more of an advocacy? Yeah, role? I, I think there's a lot of room for that, Ray. Yeah, I would uh, agree because that's actually my job, and I want board members to do that. But I think in a lot of these, I think you are correct. It, it silence is abdication on an issue. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's when there is advocacy, it's not an issue. That's exactly right. So if, uh, Maureen, um, I would say if you feel strongly on an issue, which I have to know Maureen, I think she usually does feel strongly about issues, it's okay to express your opinion. I think the difference is sometimes you have your own personal opinion and you have the board's opinion, and that's two two different things moving forward. Yeah, and unless one's personal opinion becomes the board's opinion, then it's not the board really that's uh, doing the advocacy. It's an individual. That doesn't mean individuals shouldn't, but it doesn't have the same power. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, we're, we're coming uh, towards the end. I just have a, a, a final question. Um, what do you see uh, as the biggest challenge facing school board members in the upcoming year or two years in the future? In New, in New Jersey? Yeah, we'll stick to New Jersey because I... Well, I think uh, it's dealing with uh, a situation in which you have a an economy that's uh, scarcely growing anymore, and you have uh, uh, citizens who uh, can't uh, very readily afford to pay their school taxes, let alone even, in some cases, to hold on to their homes. And at the same time, you have school populations of even greater need than you had before because of the economics, because of, uh, of uh, the demography. And so I think it's probably as challenged the next year or two uh, is going to, and then you have to negotiate contracts with uh, employees in, in that kind of context. So I think the next year or two are going to be very, very challenging times for school board members in New Jersey. Uh, and in conclusion, uh, I read your book, and I was—I have to say—you say a flawed exercise in democracy, but it doesn't come across as I read the book that you wrote. Flawed has a different connotation, I guess, to me. You seem—maybe I'm wrong—you seem to be saying that there's problems with how we govern our local schools and individual districts, but maybe the best thing that we have. And I, we just I have would, to improve on what we do. That's a good way of summing up. I would agree with you. I, I, I guess with the flaws, I want to make the, the point to people that we have a lot of room for improvement. Okay. All right. I would, too. And uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Gene Meroff, and I would also uh, encourage you, if you want to buy the book, it's called uh, School Boards in America, A Flawed Exercise in Democracy.
and, and I will go send right, you. They can go right to Amazon, for example, if they want to get it. And they can go right to Amazon uh, to order the book. And it's uh, less than 200 pages. It's 199 pages. <laughs> and uh, I think it gives you a good overall view of not just New Jersey education, but the role of the board member and how it came about. And there's a very good chapter there that we didn't get to on special education that I think your public would enjoy. I think uh, so. so thank you, Gene, for joining me. Thanks a lot, Ray. I appreciate it. And Take for care. Uh, Thanksgiving. And our next show will be Friday, December 2nd at 11.30 a.m. And our guest then will be Senate President Stephen Sweeney, and we'll be talking about education in New Jersey, and that will be from 11.30 to 12 p.m. And that brings us to an end of another conversation on New Jersey education. I hope that you enjoyed today's show. And as I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. I'd also like to wish a happy Thanksgiving to you and all your family, and I hope it's a safe one this weekend. And thank you, and goodbye.